This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Worship with West Concord. I hope you're doing well in life's journey. And that's actually what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, life's journey. Because God has placed us here on this planet to live the journey of life, and it is a journey. We each walk a pathway, and often that pathway changes. Sometimes it's an easy pathway. Sometimes it's a difficult pathway, as we're experiencing now. But nonetheless, it is a journey. You know, I found that with most of the journeys that I've been involved in, I've wanted and needed a guidebook. And so that's what we've been looking at 1 Peter as for the last couple of weeks, and we'll continue to do that. We're going to look at 1 Peter as God's uh, guidebook or handbook for Christian sojourners. God's handbook for sojourners. Again, a sojourner, as we've said before, is a traveler, uh, our temporary resident, a resident alien, if you will. And uh, we're just on this planet temporarily. The moment we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, our citizenship shifted from this country, this world, to the kingdom of God. So we're just temporary people here, and we need to learn how to get through this difficult and strange world. We've already had an overview of 1 Peter, sort of a roadmap, if you will, as we've looked at life's reality and the desires and all of these things that this journey brings with it. And so last week, we got to look at chapter 1, a portion of chapter 1, and talk about the hope that God has provided for us to have as we walk through life. We've talked about the fact that it's a living hope, a hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive, and if our hope is in Him, then we will live as well. It's also a lasting hope. Listen, as tough as things are right now and and as tough as things will be in the future, uh, all of these things are temporary. The good and the bad is all temporary, but the hope in God that we have is lasting. And remember, that hope literally means a confident anticipation. And so we're confidently anticipating God keeping His promises. We also spoke about the fact that it is a legendary hope. The prophets of the Old Testament, they spent their their time, their lives, uh, receiving and communicating the message of God and the hope that was coming in the Messiah. Well, we look back and we, we know the truth. We know the revelation fully and we have that available to us. And so they, they were interested. They were engaged. They were invested. Not only that, but the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that the angels themselves interest themselves in our lives, how we live in that hope. And they're very, very concerned and very interested in our lives. As a matter of fact, as we said last week, the book of Hebrews says, we entertain angels oftentimes unaware because they are involved in what we're doing because they're interested in the hope that is in us. Now, we're going to continue to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and chapter 1 covers the reality that we live in. And if you remember from chapter 1, verse 1, Peter is writing this book to the different Christians that are scattered all over the Roman world. Because at one point, the Romans had had enough with the Jews. They did not want them in the city of Rome. They did not want them in the metropolis and the surrounding areas. So they expelled them. 
And because Christianity at that time was rather closely associated with Judaism, Christians were also, for the most part, expelled. So you had these people who may have even made Rome their home, were now scattered all over the known world, trying to make it in strange places, going to countries with strange customs, strange languages. They had to learn all over again how to live. And, and we're much the same way. When we receive Jesus Christ, we are now scattered throughout this world. And although we're born here and raised here, the minute we receive Christ as our Savior, as we said earlier, our citizenship changes. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, now live in a foreign country. We're walking a foreign road. We're in a journey that is, a, is in a world that is alien to us, or at least it should be. But understand this, God loved the world, and God still loves the world. And as aliens, He's given us the responsibility and the privilege to not only be aliens in this world, but to be ambassadors for His world. And so that's kind of how we're pulling all of this together. Now, as I said, we talked about hope last week, but this week we're going to move on. So the underlying Old Testament passage that I want to share with you that sort of undergirds this entire study is in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and it's a passage I rely upon. It's a passage I go to, and it says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. He goes on to say, Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your paths straight. You might be sitting here trying to figure this life out. You might be trying to understand why this is happening or why that hasn't happened or what's going on. Listen, you'll go crazy trying to do that. You and I may not know the answers to much of what goes on until we enter in the kingdom of God one day. So <clears throat> he wants us now to simply acknowledge him, hang on to him, trust him, and just get through it. So as we jump into this study today, let's go ahead and bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that through the love of Jesus Christ and through Your love, Father, that You provided salvation, Lord, through Christ. That, Lord, through faith in Him, we can now have a relationship restored unto You. Father, not only are we promised a home in heaven, but we're given Your Spirit, Lord, so that as we walk with You in this place, You would help us, You would encourage us, You would guide us along through Your Spirit, and yes, through Your handbook, through Your Word, for we are Christian sojourners, Lord. We are aliens here. We are, we are not uh, at home here anymore. Our home is in heaven. And so, Father, as we face the challenges and the choices of life, Father, use this Word to guide us and to bring us along, and we'll praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, last time we were together, we were talking about are the reality that we live in, our real world, the fact that we're scattered as aliens in a foreign land, and, 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 and we've seen the hope that God gives us, that confident anticipation that He will keep His promises, He will deliver us, He will save us, and He will carry us through. Now we're going to look at some other aspect of it. We're going to talk about holiness. Because understand, that is the outpouring of hope. If we have hope in God, then it should cause us to live lives of holiness. Now, people will ask, what is holiness? What does that mean? Well, let me just give you this definition. Holiness means that we as believers, we need to be set apart. That's what the word holiness means. It means to be set apart. We need to be set apart from the world, 
unto the Lord. We belong to Him. Jesus Christ bought and paid for us. We are His possession. He goes on to say we need to be living by God's standards based on that. Not the world's standards. God isn't calling us to be perfect. A lot of people think, well, being holy means that I have to be perfect. Well, that's, uh, that's impossible. We're not called to be perfect. We're called to be distant from the world, distinct and distant. We're to, be, we're to be different. We're not to be like the world. We are different. We are a unique people. As we get into 1 Peter further in the weeks to come, we will see that we are a very unique and wonderfully chosen people, that God has put us on this world for a purpose. And so, yes, we're to be holy. We're to live our lives set apart, apart unto the Lord living by God's standards, not the world's, because we are to be distinct from the world. Again, that doesn't mean we, can, we, we need to be perfect because we can't. That also doesn't mean we don't strive for perfection. Don't, don't use that as a cop-out either. But we should be seeking to honor the Lord with our lives and to live by His standards. So let's jump into this chapter in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 13. And look what it says here. It says, Therefore... When you see the word therefore in your scriptures, you always ask, what is it there for? It's a Bible application tool. And it refers to all the material that went previously. And if you remember, we talked about hope. So if we have this hope, and if it's a living, lasting, and legendary hope, then we need to get excited. We need to listen. We need to get a hold of ourselves. And that's what he says. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Boy, that's, a, that's an interesting sentence. You know, girding up something is an old term that literally means gathering up the robes that you're wearing, put your belt on, and get ready to run. Back in biblical days, uh, men and women, and men, yes, they wore long tunics, uh, very long robes. Think of a graduation gown or a choir robe. And uh, oftentimes they wore a sash around their waist. Well, if they had to get somewhere in a hurry, if they had to run, what the men would do especially is they would gather up the folds of that robe and tuck it in their belt, that gird thing going around their waist, they tuck it in their belt so they can move swifter, run faster, and get where they need to go quicker. And basically, Peter is telling us here, gird up your mind, the loins of your mind. Let's pull it together. Pull it together. And he says, and be sober. So what he's telling us is if we have this hope and we're living in this world, then yes, we need to be fully committed to the mission and message of Almighty God. We need to be fully committed, which means we need to gather our thoughts. Instead of sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves, instead of sitting around trying to figure the world out, which, listen, I can't do and I, I don't think you can either, then we need to gather our thoughts, get a hold of ourselves, pull it together, and then we need to stand up and, and, and continue the mission and message that God has given us. You know, just because there's a COVID virus going on doesn't mean that we don't have to fulfill the mission God has given us. It, it doesn't mean and doesn't give us an excuse that, well, I don't have to live for the Lord right now because of COVID going on. I don't have to worship. I don't have to read my Bible. No, no, we need to do those things even more. You know, it's interesting. 
We had a business meeting last night at the church here. Had a budget meeting. Those are always fun. And, uh, you know, oftentimes things, you know, go one way or the other in a budget meeting. I'm blessed at West Concord. We never have any real major problems. So that's a, that's a blessing. What a wonderful church family. But listen, we got somebody saved last night at the business meeting. Uh, a gentleman came to know Christ as his Savior last night at our budget meeting. I mean, for heaven's sake, if somebody can get saved in a budget meeting of a church, then we, we can go out there in the middle of a COVID virus, in the middle of political mess or whatever. We've got a message of hope. And man alive, there are people out there that are needing to hear this message. They're wanting to understand what the truth is and how to make sense of it all. And so listen, we need to be fully committed in this journey. We have the hope of heaven. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We should share it. And part of being holy is committing fully and completely to the mission and message of God. Gather our thoughts. And not only that, but we need to give Him our trust. So He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, which means get serious about this. And notice what He says, And rest your hope fully. We just saw in the previous part of the chapter the hope that we have. He says you need to rest it fully upon the grace that is uh, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have confident anticipation that Jesus Christ has saved us spiritually and that one day He's going to return and save us physically. And so we can rest our hope on the fact that no matter how dim things get here, there's a light at the end of the journey. No matter how difficult things get here, there's a happy ending at the end of this sojourn. So we need to gather our thoughts and, and, and we need to pull it together. Not only that, but we also need to give Him our trust. This is the Christian life. We need to completely, completely lay our lives at His feet and go in the direction He leads us to go, whether there's a COVID virus or not, whether there's uh, uh, unrest or not, whether there's political issues or not. We need to be fully committed. That's what holiness speaks of, that set-apart issue. Not only that, but because being fully committed is a decision, it involves being faithfully conformed to the, to the message and mission of God. Look what he goes on to say. Uh, look down in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. In other words, we're not to live the way we used to live. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been moved again from being citizens of the world to citizens of heaven. And we have become the children, the sons and daughters of Almighty God, the princes and princesses of the King. Therefore, instead of living the way we used to, we need to live the way God now wants us to as royal heirs of the riches of heaven. Now, let me, let me clarify, that doesn't mean we're any better than anybody else. By, by far, we're not. We're all sinners. The difference between a lost person and a saved person is just that. The saved person saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we have done. So no, we're no better than anybody else. We just have an advantage where we know Christ as Savior. Our, our mission is to go out and share that advantage so that everybody might hear it and have it. But he says we need to go ahead and change in order to fully conform from hellishness. Now you say, Pastor, that's a, that's a harsh word, hellishness. You know, my life wasn't hellish. My wife, you know, I'm, maybe you didn't get involved in raucous living and running around and drinking and drugging and all that stuff. Maybe you didn't get involved in all that stuff. 
But nonetheless, selfishness, listen, selfishness is hellishness. Selfishness is what caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. Selfishness is what causes all of the sinful problems in this world. All of sin finds its root in pride, and pride is nothing more than self-absorption and selfishness. So any action that comes out of selfishness is hellish because it separates us from God. So he challenges us to set aside those things, set aside the way that we lived before we knew Christ, when we were ignorant, basically. We didn't, maybe we didn't know uh, in, a, in, a, in a specific way, right and wrong. Oh, we had a sense of it, but we didn't know. So we should change from hellishness, hellishness, and he challenges us to holiness. Look at verse 15. He says, but he who called you is holy. Holy. Now, he's going to use this word four times. He who called you is holy. Who is that God? You also be holy in all your conduct. So God is set apart. You know, God is divinity. He is divine. He is transcendent from all of humanity. He is above and beyond humanity. And he's telling us that because he is set apart, we should live, live and conduct ourselves and live lives set apart and holy because God is holy. He goes on to say in verse uh, 15, or excuse me, verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And this is from Leviticus. And over and over in Leviticus, God is reminding the children of Israel that he is a holy God. Why is it important that this comes from Leviticus? Because Leviticus was literally the law code for the nation of Israel as they were forming their new country, as they were, as they were coming into their land, as they were becoming a nation. God had set forth guidelines and principles and statutes for them to live by so that they might be separate and different from the nations around them. And over and over in the book of Leviticus, God reminds the children of Israel, I am holy. And he keeps reminding them, and I am making you holy. So God is saying, just as I am holy, you be holy. And he's saying that to the church today. He, he bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been purchased. We belong to him. And now he wants to live, wants us to live rather, lives that are set apart. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be holy. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we have to go put on white robes and go sit on a mountain and look down at everybody as though we're better than they are. No, no, no. We live in the world. We, we did a sermon a few weeks ago where we talked about, yes, we're in the world. We're just not of the world. Do you understand? We have to go to work. We work alongside atheists. We work alongside uh, Muslims, Buddhists, all kinds of people. Uh, we have to go to Walmart, wherever you get your groceries. We have to go to our kids' schools. We have to, do, we have to interact with the world, and we should. Because we are the reflection of God's light in the world, and it is us that He has chosen to take His message. So being holy and not being part of the world, it's not talking about going and finding a cabin in the woods and hiding out. It's simply saying that I'm not going to follow the dictates, the standards, the fashions, the values of the world. I am going to live my life according to the standards, dictates, values, and fashions of Almighty God. And I'm going to live as a citizen of God's holy kingdom. He is the king. He is holy. If he is holy, I am to be holy. So therefore, 
if I am going to be fully committed in this world, I need to be faithfully conformed to it. Get rid of all the hellishness in my life. Change from that hellishness because He has challenged us to holiness. He has challenged us to live our lives set apart. Let me ask you a question. If you are being charged today with being a Christian, if you are taken to court and charged with the crime of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence from your life, your actions, your words to convict you? In other words, can people see you and know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? And I'm not just talking about your church t-shirt or your cross earrings or little silver fish on the back of your car. I'm talking about your characteristics, your attitudes, how you treat people. Uh, can they look at you and see Jesus Christ in some way? I hope so, because we need to be faithfully conformed. If we're going to, be, if we're going to do this journey right, we need to be faithfully conformed to God and His Word. So we need, to be, we need to understand that we need to be fully committed. That's part of what holiness is. It's fully committed to God's mission. Gather your thoughts, give Him your trust. We need to be faithfully conformed to Him. That means a change from who we were to what God has made us. A change from hellishness to, uh, to a challenge to holiness. And then in order to do that, we need to live in a fearfully careful way. Now, when I say fearfully careful, let me explain that. Or better yet, let's let Peter explain that in uh, verse 17 as we get into the Scriptures. He says this. He says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. Did you catch that, that sentence? Of your stay here in fear. Now that fear, again, it's not a cravenly, cowardly fear, but that fear means a reverential respect for the power, majesty, and person of Almighty God. And so we need to live lives where we're fearfully careful to honor God and to please Him. What are we fearful of? We're fearful of His power, His majesty. We don't want to come into His judgment. And so we need to be careful in our conduct. We need to make sure that our conduct is holy and righteous. We need to make sure that what we do and how we live conforms faithfully to Him. Because there are consequences. Did you notice this line here? If you call on the Father who without partiality, partiality judges according to each one's work. Now you and I aren't saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. So you say, well, what's the point then of work? Well, there will be the judgment seat of Christ. We're all believers in heaven one day will stand before God. Now this judgment won't determine heaven or hell because you'll already be in heaven, but it will determine reward or lack thereof from God. So we will have to give an account for how we lived our lives. There are, there are consequences to our conduct. So therefore, when we, are, when we are fully committed and faithfully conformed, we need to live fearfully, fearfully careful as we go through life. That means we need to make sure we're making the right choices, the God-honoring decisions. And that involves every aspect of our lives, whether it's our family lives, how we raise our children, what are we teaching them, what are we teaching them by our example, or, or our church. Are we doing church the way that honors God? Are we involved in ministry? How about how we use our money, how we do our job? All of these things can figure into this. And so we need to live lives fearfully and carefully. And so what that 
comes to is, in order to do that, you say, well, what if I get my eyes off of them? You know, it's easy to get distracted in this world, isn't it? Man alive, there's a lot of things that can distract us. I know that when I go home and I try to get my schoolwork out to study, it's easier for me to study at the office than it is at home because there are a lot of distractions at home. My wife and kids might need something, or I might be sitting there and think, man, I, I think I'll take a break and flip the TV on, or I'll go get a snack, or, or I'll go out in the yard. You know, there are all kinds of different distractions that can cause me to lose focus when I study. So it's almost better for me to study at my office here, or go to the library, or go to the coffee shop where I can just zero in. Now, if we're going to live lives carefully and fearfully, then we need to be focused. We need to be focused. And again, it's so easy to get distracted. I mean, we live in a day and age where you don't even have to be at home to watch anything. You can pull out your movie, or your phone rather, and watch movies, or listen to music, or read social media, or news. I mean, these things right here are the biggest distractions that we have today. So how do we keep on track? How do we stay on the path that God wants us to on this journey? Well, here it is. We need to focus on the cost. Focus on the cost. What did it cost God in order to purchase salvation for us? Well, let's look at verse 18 as we continue. Down in verse 18, he says this, and he starts with the word knowing. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. In other words, corruptible things, things of the earth, things that will break and rust. He goes on to explain that, like silver or gold. We can't purchase our salvation. You can't give enough gold. You can't give enough silver. And if you could, all of those things will, will be gone. They'll, they'll fade away or somebody can steal them. So he says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. He's talking about our religion. He's talking about our traditions. We're not saved by material riches. We're not saved by, by riches, and, and, and we're not saved by uh, religion, rather, or traditions. We're saved by the blood of Christ. Look at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was the price that was paid so that you and I might become citizens of heaven. You see, people can't pay for heaven. We can't afford it. It's priceless. Some people say, oh, you believe in cheap grace. No, I don't believe in cheap grace. I believe in free grace. Just because something's free doesn't mean it was cheap. Understand this, it cost God the life, broken body, and shed blood of His own Son. I don't know about you, but that's not cheap. Listen, we cheapen grace when we try to put a human price tag on it. No, no. Grace, even though it's free, and that's the meaning of the word, unmerited favor, unearned love. That's what grace basically means. Just because it is free to us doesn't mean it was cheap. It was bought with a price. Every time we observe communion, the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus who gave His all so that we might have all that He has. Isn't it amazing that God would love us that much to do that? Jesus Christ, the second member of the triunity, the trinity of God, who did not need to taste death. He was eternal, still is, by the way, but took on flesh and allowed Himself to struggle, to suffer, and to die so that we might be saved. That was the price that was paid. And how often do we just trample it underfoot? 
We go off and chase after our dreams. We run after any little sparkly thing that comes our way. We want to have any kind of experience. And oftentimes we get so distracted, we need to stay focused. And one of the ways to stay focused is to remember what it cost for us to enjoy this salvation. What did it cost for us to have this confident anticipation of heaven? What did it cost so that we might walk confidently, confidently and comfortably with God? What did it cost? And every time I reflect on that, it helps me get my perspective right again. I need to honor Him with my life. I need to live for Him with, with my life because He paid so much for my life. Not only that we need to reflect on the cost and focus on that, but also on God's plan. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You know, this wasn't something that was thrown together. This, this Christianity didn't happen because a religious leader popped on the scene and decided he was the Messiah and that he would die. No, no, no. This plan of God, this salvation plan, has been, has been going for eternity past. Ever since God created the world and before He created the world, He had in His heart and mind that He would create people. And He knew that they would fall. And He knew that He would provide redemption for that fall. He knew that He would come, take on flesh, and suffer for us. This, this is an age-old plan. This isn't something that was just thrown together. He goes on to say in verse 21, "...who through Him uh, believe in God," talking about you and I, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God wants you and I to spend eternity with Him. And until we get there, He wants to walk with us. He wants us to focus on Him. He wants us to make it through this world in one piece. That's why God's given us His Spirit to dwell within us. Listen, God just didn't save us and send us on our way. He didn't just say, all right, here's salvation. I'll see you later in heaven. Take care and good luck. No, no, no. God didn't do that. God sent His Spirit to dwell in us, God Himself within us. He walks with us. He wants to fellowship with us. We have a relationship with Him. And therefore, it makes walking this journey a whole lot easier. So anytime you and I as we're trying to live fearfully and carefully for Him, we tend to get distracted. We need to focus. We need to focus on the cost of our salvation. And listen, Peter's recipients were about to pay a price themselves for their salvation. Not to procure it, but because they had it. As a matter of fact, many of his recipients were already facing persecution. You know, he was writing to people who'd been scattered anyway. Some were facing imprisonment, some were facing death, and even a greater persecution was coming. It was going to be bloody, it was going to be difficult, it was going to be horrible. But you say, is that worth it? Yes, because Christ blazed the trail. He died for us, and there, now God wants us to die for Him. Now that has two aspects. You know, we don't have to necessarily die physically for Him, but we must die spiritually. What does that mean? It means I die to myself. My old man, who I was before I was saved, as Peter said earlier, in our ignorance, that needs to be crucified. And the new man, God's Spirit, the new nature, who we are now that we've been saved, needs to rise up. And we need to live with Christ, walk with Christ. We are new creatures. Old things have passed away, Paul said, and behold, all things have become new. 
And so, yes, we need to die to self and live to Him. Now, unfortunately, Peter's recipients, many of them did experience physical death. Many of them did experience physical persecution. God forbid that we face that in our world today. Although, in all over parts of the world, there are, there are brothers and sisters who are facing uh, physical persecution. You and I have brothers and sisters in different countries, even now as we speak, are being rounded up. Some are being executed. Some are being imprisoned. Some are being harassed and chased and dogged until they stop worshiping Christ. We are, we are blessed in this country. We, we're doing well. Yes, some people are starting to get antsy at us, but we're not facing anything near what our brothers and sisters in Christ are. So there is a cost, a cost for Christ. And so Christ paid the ultimate cross, that uh, ultimate cost on the cross, and that is the plan of God. He wanted that to happen that way. So listen, this is the whole idea. Yes, we have the hope of Almighty God, but we need to live that out through our own holiness. We need to live set-apart lives in that hope which means as we do that, we need to make sure that we are fully committed to His mission and message. Not only that, but we need to be faithfully conformed to Him, to His Word, to be Christ-like. We need to change our old hellishness, and we need to answer the challenge to holiness. We need to live fearfully careful that we make the right choices and do the right things and go in the right direction. And in order to do that, we need to focus on the cost. We need to be focused on the cost, the price that was paid for our salvation and the plan that God went through to get us there. And so that is the call. That is how we walk in this journey. We cannot be like the rest of the world anymore and expect to be impactful, expect to be faithful. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian and Christian apologist, had this to say about holiness. He said, The idea of holiness is so central to the biblical teaching that it is said of God, holy is His name. And he gives Luke 1.49 as the reference. So, so central is this that it is even God's name in a sense, holy. He goes on to say His name is holy because He is holy. He is not always treated, however, with holy reverence. His name is trampled through the dirt of this world. It functions as a curse word. He goes on to say, a platform for the obscene that the world has little respect for God is vividly seen by the way the world regards His name. You know, again, God's name is holy. Yet I hear people all the time taking God's name in vain. It makes my skin crawl. And listen, we might think, oh yeah, the world is terrible. <laughs> I hear it in church just as much as I hear it in the world. I hear God's name taken in vain. I see God's holiness trampled even in the church. We oftentimes don't come to church with a holy reverence and respect of our worship for God anymore. More often than not, we want our worship of God to be on our level, to make us happy, to meet our proclivities and desires. And, and when was the last time you came and just set that aside and said, I want all of God. I want to worship Him. I want to honor Him. I want to focus on Him this morning. He goes on to say this, no honor, no reverence, no awe before him. And this is the sad truth of the world around us. Listen, we don't expect the world, even though it should because God is their creator, but the world isn't going to treat God 
with any respect. They are not going to honor the holiness of God. But the church of Jesus Christ, listen, we are the body of Christ. We've been saved. We have the Word of God. We have the knowledge of God. We have the Spirit of God. And and yes, we are to honor the holiness of God. We are to live in the holiness of God. We are to proclaim the holiness of God. And when we we make our choices and and we plot our directions and go along in this journey, we need to be displaying the holiness of God. Because people need to look at us they need to see us and say, there's something different there. Not a haughty, self-righteous difference, but there's something that that man, that woman, that young man, that young woman has that I want, that I want. We need to live out the holiness of Almighty God. Unfortunately, most Christians are not looking to do that. More often than not, we're on a search, a journey to be happy. We're just on a pathway trying to find little happy stops along the way. And listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. We all want to be happy. I mean, especially now, we want things to go back to normal. But you know what? What if they don't? Can you still be happy? What if this COVID virus hangs around for months? What, what, if, what if the political change uh, isn't what you were hoping or expecting? What if our country goes in a completely different directions? What if all this stuff continues to break forth? You say, I can't be happy. Why not? Joy comes from the Lord. And so we can find happiness and joy in Him. Not all the time. It's tough. Yes, the Bible says there is a time for joy and a time for sorrow. There is a time for weeping and a time for laughing. But understand this, happiness should not be the main goal of our journey. A.W. Tozer said it this way as we close out this morning. He says this, he said, The true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy, to be set apart for God. You say, Brother Mike, how does does holiness make me happy? Well, if God is your focus, and if God is your ultimate delight, and if God is your King, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and heaven is your home, then it should be whatever makes God happy should make us happy. And that's the goal. That's the thing. You know, there are a lot of things in my family that, you know, just like your family, you, you do. Uh, one of the things in my family is my, my wife and son and daughter, they love cats. I don't love cats. I don't like cats. But guess what? We have them. We have cats. Now, if it were just me, there would be no cats. But I have these cats. I let these cats in my house, not because I love cats, but because I desperately love my wife, my son, and my daughter. And if that makes them happy then that makes me happy. Do you see how that works? Oftentimes when you love somebody, you'll endure something that you may or or may not like, but you see them happy and that makes you happy. You know, that's the whole idea about holiness. Our goal should be to make God happy with us. Our goal should be to please God and honor Him. And that's what holiness does. And listen, if we're going to make it on this journey, if we're going to live out that wondrous hope we looked at last week, then we had better decide to choose holiness. Holiness. Set apart for God. See, Jesus, that's what He bought us for. He didn't just buy us to give us a ticket to heaven. Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come down to earth. He was born in flesh, lived a sinless life, but even though He hadn't done anything wrong, He was taken, He was beaten, scourged, tortured, 
And then he endured an agonizing death on the cross of Jesus Christ. On, on the cross, he did that on the cross of Calvary. And he died there. And he endured that. He was buried and rose again from the dead. Not just so that we can go to heaven, but so that we can be with him and have a relationship with the Father. So that God can be pleased and we can, we can make him happy and we can honor him. It's more than just a ticket to heaven. It's an entire relationship. And he opens the door to fellowship because God wants us to know him. But if we're going to fully know him, we first need to trust in his son as our personal savior. If you've never done that before, then I pray that you'll abandon your own works. You'll abandon religion. Stop trying to earn it. Stop, stop trying to buy it and throw yourself completely at the feet of Jesus, admitting your sin and trusting in him as your Savior. Place your faith and confidence in Jesus to take you to heaven, and He will. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He bought and paid for it. You come to Him in faith. But if you do know Christ, then keep coming to Him and cast your life at His feet so that you might live a life of holiness and you can fully experience that hope that Peter talks about. Oh man, it's just a wonderful life. Yes, it gets tough. Yes, it can be difficult. And yes, at times there are tears. But overall, what a blessing. And then one day when we get to heaven, God looks at us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I hope that's what you want to hear too. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.